Hey guys, how's it going? Here's 10 things that you didn't know about the Royal N1 Naboo Starfighter. There's lots of legend stuff in this video, so not everything's gonna be canon. I just wanna make sure you know that. And with the epic reveal or return of this Starfighter in the last episode of The Mandalorian, or should I say The Book of Boba Fett, I figured this video is in order, so sit back, relax, and let's get to it. The Royal N1 Starfighter is one of the most elegant ships in the entire galaxy, but much of its service record remains a mystery. Besides the action the ship saw during the Trade Federation's devastating blockade on Naboo in 32 BBY, we haven't really seen the fighter in action. So today, we're going to break down a few things that you might not know about the vessel, along with some of its later combat engagements. Let's start off with number 10. It costs 200,000 credits. At 200,000 credits, the N1 Naboo Starfighter is one of the most expensive ships of its class. To put that into context, when we look at the most famous fighter of the Galactic Civil War, the T-65 X-Wing, you might be shocked to find that it only costs 150,000 Imperial credits fresh off the assembly line. If you managed to score one that had already been used in training or light combat, you could haggle down the price to 65,000 credits, compared to the 200,000 credits the Naboo Starfighter's manufacturers demanded. Number 9. The Rebel Alliance used it. Although the N1 Starfighter was most famously used during the Trade Federation's blockade of Naboo, it was actually used for several decades to come. It's reported that the Rebel Alliance, or at least its contingent on Naboo, made use of slightly modified N1s during their final campaign against Imperial occupation, right around the Battle of Endor. Number 8. One of the most famous pirates in the galaxy used one. During the reign of Darth Sidious's Galactic Empire, a pirate active in the Hut territories chose the N1 Naboo Starfighter as his personal ship. Although we're not exactly sure why he had such an affinity for the craft, it's not hard to guess why. Since the pirate, who went by the name of Stormtrooper X, seemed to despise the Empire, it's not unlikely that he was once a member of the Naboo Royal Navy, and chose a life of crime after Naboo came under control of Palpatine's new empire. Number 7. It had a better hyperdrive rating than the ARC-170. When compared to the Republic's most famous Clone Wars era starfighter, the N1 actually had a better hyperdrive rating. The ARC-170 was a precursor to the Rebellion's X-Wing and one of the most important tools at the disposal of Republic's admirals during space combat. But with a hyperdrive rating of 1.5, that meant it took nearly twice as long for it to travel through hyperspace lanes as the Naboo starship did. In fact, only the newest ships of the Imperial era and those upgraded with an aftermarket gear like the Millennium Falcon could beat the N1 Naboo starfighter. Number 6. It was made by the same company who made Padme's starship. This might not be too big of a surprise considering how often governments like to choose the same company over and over again, but the N1 starfighter was manufactured by the very same company that produced Queen Amidala's ship. Her vessel, the J-Type 327 Nubian Royal Starship, was famously used throughout the pre-Clone War era and Clone War era. In fact, Darth Vader continued to use Padme's starship well after her death and stained the entire vessel black by deliberately plunging it through Mustafar's thick atmosphere at dangerous speeds. Number 5. It didn't do ground attacks very well. With so many tactical advantages built into the ship itself, it's hard to find anything wrong with the Naboo N1 Starfighter, but there are some pretty obvious weaknesses that stand out. Since it was designed as a luxury starfighter, much of its hull was crafted with aesthetics in mind. Which means, unlike other ships, it sacrificed a lot of functionality for beauty. One of the things it failed at was ground combat. Now other starfighters could multitask during the rebel campaigns, while certain wing commanders would have certainly preferred the use of Y-wing bombers in certain situations, they were content assigning X-wings ground attack tasks. Whether that meant destroying an advancing column of enemy tanks or taking out a series of long 
long-range artillery, it didn't really matter. X-Wings and ships like them were able to do the job, but the Naboo N1 Starfighter struggled with taking out ground targets. And not only that, they were extremely vulnerable if they didn't have an open expanse of space for dogfights due to their poor turning radius. Number four, it was eco-friendly. It might not seem like it, but the natives of Naboo prided themselves on protecting their environment. You can see glimpses of this trait when you look at the balance between nature and buildings in the architecture of Deed. But this philosophy rose to new heights with the N1 Starfighter. The designers, a company called Nubia Star Drives, used a specific type of engine that would reduce the amount of pollution the Starfighters put into the air whenever it was flown within a planet's atmosphere. This was a unique concern that not many other governments took into consideration. Even when we look at the Jedi Starfighters, we find that their engines were among the most powerful and polluting, especially in the pre-Clone Wars era. Number three, not just anybody could have one. The fact that the N1 Starfighter wasn't used more widely around the galaxy probably has more to do with its insane price than anything else, but the Naboo government was also pretty selective about who they'd sell the crafts to. Once, when the future separatist world of Agamar inquired about whether or not they'd be able to purchase some Starfighters, Naboo politely declined. Number two, the tail was more than a cool design. Now, while the tail of the N1 Starfighters was definitely one of the coolest parts of the ship, it was more than meets the eye. In order to quickly and efficiently refuel the ships, pilots would simply dock the tip of the Starfighter's tail with a refueling station and didn't need to rely on a cumbersome crew of mechanics. This again was a classic example of Naboo's engineers melding aesthetics with functionality. And last but not least, N1 Starfighters fought in the Battle of Exegol. When General Lando Calrissian rallied the galaxy's resistance to fight Emperor Palpatine's final order, he recruited ships from every known sector of space, and that included Naboo. Among the many vessels assembled for the battle, several N1 Starfighters could be seen, ready to take on the Sith in one last battle. Ultimately, this was the last known account of these antique Starfighters, and where they ended up after the battle is, well, anyone's guess, really. But it's just kind of cool that they're even still there during Episode 9, which means that we could see them even beyond, which would be pretty sweet. And if you notice, we also see them in the trailer for the Star Wars Eclipse game. So they've definitely been around for a while and probably will continue to be around for a long time. I guess they're kind of like the Lamborghini or Ferrari of Star Wars in terms of ships. Or maybe that would be the Scimitar or the ETA Actus 2. You guys let me know which one. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for watching this video on the Royal N1 Naboo Starfighter. I'll see you in the next episode on Star Wars Theory. Until then, remember, the Force will be with you always.